I have decided, I have decided. Last week we talked about the great invitation, that Jesus extends an invitation to each and every one of us, and that is to go from the crowd to become a follower. Uh, and if you're ready, go ahead and pull out your app, your message notes. I want to dive right into Mark 8:34, which is the theme passage of Scripture for us through this series. Uh, and Jesus is extending the invitation, and I'm going to read it for us. Then he called to the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And that's really what this series is all about. It's learning what it means to be a Christ follower. Uh, what we have to be careful of is that being a follower of Jesus is not wearing a label of Christianity. Um, and if we're not careful, what we'll do is we'll become religious but look nothing like Jesus. And it's a, it's a deceitful path because you feel good about yourself even though you're going down a path of destruction. And the devil, if he can't make you mess up, he wants to deceive you. He wants us to think we're doing good. And uh, we've got to always go back to the plumb line of the Bible uh, and, and really be cautious of anyone who tries to modify what God says because of the culture. Um, and today, I, I am excited about today because I do think we're going to bring some correction. And I've thought about this message. And, and here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to really evaluate your life. You know, because here, here's, here's my goal and my responsibility as your pastor is to allow us to see what God says and then for you to say, does my life line up with that? Is, and, and then for us to say, hey, it's okay if, if it doesn't, I'm going to make some course corrections. And, and this is what we as believers do often. It's, hey, we make a mistake. That's all right. Get back up. I was going down the wrong path. No problem. I'm going to change direction. It's not whether or not we make mistakes. It's whether or not we're open to the accountability that God brings into our life. And then for many of you, you're going to listen. You're going to be like, yeah, Pastor, I got that. Woo, that's awesome. Now what we've got to do is we've got to train the next generation. We've got to make sure that we stay focused Otherwise, we're going to see ourselves building something that God never intended for us to build. And don't kid yourself, a crowd does not equal a church. You got convention centers full of people having concerts and motivational seminars. Look, we put a cross on it. doesn't mean you're building the body of Jesus. So, so we just got to be real careful. I learned that through COVID. It was the number one thing that I learned is that am I really building a church or are we building crowds? Because, hey, we know how to entertain. We know how to have great worship or music. But the question is, can you entertain Jesus? Can you build his body? Can you build his church? And that's what we're all about here. And uh, it's what I'm focused on. And I want to invite you to help me do that so that we can stand before God himself and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So last week, I talked about three decisions that I'm personally making and invited you to make. Invite Jesus into every area of your life. Hopefully, we did some of that and get rid of all distractions. Hopefully, we've done some of that. And then prioritize the presence of God in our life in a greater way. And we've seen many of you do that and readjust your life, uh, even through the 21 days of prayer and fasting. And today, what I want to do is I want us to talk specifically about following Jesus. And to do that, I want us to understand in a deeper level what it means 
to be a follower of Jesus. And I want to start off this today, this morning, by showing us the progression of discipleship. What does a disciple look like? How do I go from a crowd or someone in the crowd to becoming a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus? And Rick Warren over at Saddleback, he's the lead pastor at Saddleback Church, has an amazing illustration of how he articulates this, and I love it. It resonates with me because I like to see how do I go from someone in the crowd to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. The crowd is basically the mentality of I'm going to come and see. So this is where Jesus, we saw uh, in the passage we just read, where Jesus pulls the crowd, he pulls the disciples, and he is having them follow him. There's an invitation for us. So like as a church, it'd be where the community, we're out in the community, we say, hey, come and see. Hey, tell me about your Jesus. Well, I'll tell you about it, but why don't you come and see what the church looks like? That's, That's why we have things like the Harvest Festival. That's a crowd-oriented experience. What are we saying? People that would never come into the building, come onto the campus, experience the love of God, the power of God, while we're providing a service for people to come and see what our God has done in our life. Even our services. You know, these services are a little bit of the come and see. We, we try to wrap humor in it. We have childcare. We got coffee. We got great experience in worship. I mean, it's not just a discipleship meeting. It is a place that we have worked hard for you to invite your unsaved, unchurched people to come and experience what it means to worship with the body of, of Christ. And so we're, we're, we're going to allow them, hey, come and see. The second progression is where the crowd now becomes the congregation. So, so you've come to see. You've been here for a little bit. And now I'm going to come and join us. And and so this is where the invitation is not just to casually attend, but hey, I'm going to come and be a part of what I'm experiencing. And I want to personally invite those of you, this might be where you're at. Uh, you, you maybe have come to the church for the very first time over the last couple of weeks, maybe the last couple of months. If it was me, it would probably take two to three months for me to come to a church and bring my family and listen to the pastor and engage in worship. But there comes a point where you go from the crowd to, hey, now I am actually going to join the congregation and what God is doing in this place. This is where you start to go from a consumer to a contributor. So it's a progression, you know, and here's what we know too, that every one of us are in different places in this progress to becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. The next step would be from the congregation to the committed. So not only am I making this my church, not only am I coming to church, but now I want more. I realize that salvation is not the end of the line, it's actually the beginning of the journey. And so I've experienced God, but I want to come and grow. Everybody say grow. I want to grow. So I want to be more like Jesus. I want to develop habits and disciplines that Christians have, a Christ follower has. And so I'm going to commit to having a quiet time. I'm going to commit to reading my Bible every day. I'm going to commit to 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm going to commit to growing deeper in my relationship with God. This is also where you would join a small group. 
So you're, you're saying, hey, it's not good enough just to come on a Sunday. I want, I want more. I want to learn more. I want to grow more. And that's why we have small groups. Really, the, the primary reason is so that you could experience the freedom that God has for your life, that you could go deeper in your spiritual experience with God. You're going to build relationships. Think about a small group. It's where we go from a big crowd to a group of people, and they begin to know you. So you can take off the mask. You can get real with people. You can share your hurts, your habits, and your hangups. And then here's what I love about it. When you get into a small group, the enemy is less likely to be able to pick you off. The devil picks people off because they're isolated and alone, and we get deceived thinking that if I show up at church on a Sunday, I'm a part, and you are but you're still isolated because we have so many people that come in and go out and never have any relationship. But when you get into relationship with a community of believers and they know you, all the good, the bad, the hurting, the ugly, and then you realize they still love me. What? That's the journey of discipleship. And you're learning this. I'm going to become a self-feeder. I'm going to learn what it means to grow in a group, and I don't just have to have pastor feed me on a Sunday. I'm being fed on a Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and I'm committed to this Christianity thing, this discipleship thing, and I'm going to choose to grow. And then you go from the committed to the core. See the, pro- the, 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 the process? You know, so now what am I doing? Now, now I'm going to come and serve See, I'm going to get healed. I'm going to build community. And now I'm going to serve the people that God brings into this church. I'm I'm going to allow what God put in me to impact those around me. And this is where it goes just from me centered to other centered. This is the part of discipleship where you're like, man, I'm focused on the world. I want to make a difference with my life. This is what you're seeing with Gia, who is run, runs cameras on a Sunday morning. This is what you see with David, who's back there running cameras, and Philip, who's greeting out in the front foyer, and Jessica, who is serving our children's ministry right now. What they're saying is, look, I've been growing, but what's inside of me is now time to go impact the world. I want to be a part of a team. We call it the dream team. We're fulfilling God's dream, and we're part of not only a community that is feeding us, but now we're making a difference. And I I want to invite you, if you've not been a part of that, to come and be a part of making a difference with people who are focused on what's important to God. And you say, well, man, that's that's exciting. How would I do it? Well, you go to Next Steps. Uh, We have it three times a month, and that's our process. Why? Because in this point of the discipleship process, you're recognizing that God's put a purpose within you. And the only way to discover God's purpose that he's placed inside of my life is I've got to uncover how he designed me. And next steps is where you're joining the church, you're learning more about it, but you also learn more about how God created you. So so let me say it like this. You're never going to find someone at our front door who is not happy to see you. Have you ever been to a place like that? You're like, why is that person greeting someone at the front door? Because they need to be locked up in a room. They look mad, angry, and frustrated that I even showed up. Well, what did they do? They filled that spot with a body, not with purpose. And so our job and responsibility is what makes you come alive? Is it administration? Well, let's don't put you on a front door. Let's put you back there printing those message notes that many of you received today. Because they come alive hitting the buttons on the copy machine. 
You know what I mean? And so it's exciting because it's like, wow, man, I'm using what God placed in me to impact the world around me. And you've never come more alive than when you stop focusing on yourself. And you start focusing on others with a group of people that are focused on others. And not that it's easy, but you come alive. Why? Because I'm taking steps in becoming what a disciple should be. And then you go from the core to the commissioned. And this is where you go and tell. It's, it's not, I'm, I'm just going to give a Sunday. I'm not just going to do one day. But I want to be a follower of Jesus every day with my family, with my job, with my neighbors, at my school. And you really take this commission thing serious. Not, not just, hey, pastor, I'm a part of a vision and you church, you go and reach them. No, no. You own the commission that says, I'm going into my world and I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to every person and and I'm going to tell them about what he has done in my life. So I'm going to go and tell. And here's what we need to identify and what I'd ask for you to identify. Every person is in one of these places in your spiritual journey. And here's the key for this year. Identify where you're at and then just commit to take the next step. And along the way, it's like, of course, we're going to tell people about Jesus. But just remember, don't feel guilty if you don't feel fully equipped today to be at the last part of the journey if you're at the beginning part of the journey. Enjoy the journey, but just make sure you're moving forward in the journey. Amen? Now, as we find where we're at, I want to now extend an invitation to us uh, like Jesus did. To go from no commitment to total commitment, from consumer to contributor, from Savior to Lord. See, Savior is what he does for you. Lord is what you do for him. You know what I mean? It's like, God, thank you for salvation. But do you know that salvation has a purpose? You're not saved by good works, but you are saved for good works. It's like, I'm saved now. Now God's got some stuff for me to do. And God, I'm going to have you be the Lord of my life. And so there are some more decisions that I am making. And I want to encourage you to join me in these decisions. I'm going to give us three of them this morning, three of them. Here's a decision that I'm making and I want to invite you to make. I have decided to follow Jesus, not culture. Not culture. Let, let, let me just give you some passages of scripture and then I'm going to break it down a little bit more. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, this is Paul talking. So the, we're going to follow the example of Jesus, but what I'm concerned is we're following people who aren't following Jesus' example. And we've got a lot of Christians that are deceived out there that they've been de deceived by the good intentions of people that love God but don't understand fully what it means to be a disciple. And I'm going to explain in just a second. You know, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, I just I want to lay this for you down for you. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means Jesus, what he does, how we follow him doesn't change from generation to generation. You got to understand it because what culture wants you to do is say, we've got to make Christianity relevant. Christianity will always be relevant. Jesus will always be relevant because we're always dying and going to hell. We're in need of a savior. I don't need to have cultural popularity. I don't need for people to like me. I need salvation. And so this whole relevant, I need you to be relevant. Jesus is always relevant to the lost and the dying. 
And so we have to be real careful. We've got to, here's how I would phrase it. We've got to regain biblical clarity in a secular culture. Biblical clarity. Biblical clarity. And I want to help us with this. And, and let me tell you where this is coming from. Now, I love social media. I love the influence of, well, I don't love social media. Let me say it. I love the influence that it can present. I actually don't even manage my social media. So if you're messaging me and I'm not, it's a, I've got a team that does it. Why? Because I just, I, I never feel better about being on it. And, but I also recognize that there's a great way to reach people. But here is my concern. When we start to learn theology through social influencers and not theologians. I have a real concern when social influencers are the rulers of the hour of what following Jesus looks like. I'm just telling you, my, my resident theologian is Pastor Peter, and there have been many days where he has corrected me on a few things, and I welcome that just as you ought to welcome it because we can get deceived and say nice little fun cliches and not dig into biblical truth. And, and here's what happens. We stop reading the Bible, but we start reading posts. We watch reels, and we've got all these, these nice little hashtags, and we've got all these quotes, and, and that becomes our source for theology of the day. And here's what will happen. Remember, all the devil needs is just a little bit to make it all wrong. I mean, think about making a cake. How many would eat a cake if you had three good eggs and one rotten? The whole cake is still bad. It's, you've got to recognize it. So let, let me just say it like this. Here, here's what I'd say. Popular Christian sayings that are unbiblical. Let me just give you, can I just give you a couple of examples? God wants me to be happy. Oh, yeah, don't put them all up. There. Well, they probably already stole the thunder. Because I want to explain. God is not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. Will you experience happiness? Oh, of course you will. But it's not his primary goal. His primary goal is that you would look like him, that you would be a disciple, that you would follow him and impact the world around you. So, so here's another one. Let me, and I, I just want to let you know, I've said these. So there's no shame. And if you said it yesterday, cool. Now you know. And, and I'm not going to say these things. Let go and let God. Look, I get it. But what, what they really mean is this. It's a phrase that really talks about the value of surrender. If it's like that, okay. But really, it's, it's, it's not, that's not how it's really perceived. Really, it's subtly used that it's talking about stop striving, put the brakes on, don't, don't make a lot of effort. But can I just remind us that the symbol for Christianity is a cross, not a couch? Like, I, I don't know about you, but... <laughs> But let go and let God is just, it's not really painting the right picture. It kind of makes me think I'm going to sit on a sunset somewhere and watch the sun rise and the sunset and I go take a nap and God's on the scene. But if I'm looking at the gospel and what the Bible, the illustrations it uses, it's things like soldiers, athletes, farmers, running, boxing. When you say let go and let God, where does that fit into this image of what we're supposed to be doing? I mean, there's going to be some striving. There's going to be some grittiness and some hard work. And, you know, we're called to work out what God has worked in. And that is hard. 
And so maybe we shouldn't just let go and let God. We got to do some things. We got to labor for it. Now, you, you know, we're not laboring for salvation. We're laboring from salvation, but we got to work this thing out. Look, J.I. Packer said it like this. The Christian's motto should not be let go and let God, but trust God and get going. <laughs> what, if we, what if we use that? What if we said that, you know? Let go, let go. Well, trust God and get going. That, you see what I'm saying? So we, we got we to gotta reshape this. That's why I say follow Jesus, not culture. God helps those who help themselves. Did you know that originated from Benjamin Franklin? It's not God's word. And there are so many people I've heard that, that they actually think that's somewhere in the Bible. It's nowhere in the Bible. It's not. In, <laughs> you see how we're biblically illiterate trying to build his church. And we're frustrated that our life isn't working, but we're, we're touting sayings of the day, not scriptures from Jesus. And I'm just convinced God didn't come for moral standouts. He came for moral failures. He came for us. I don't know if you thought you had to get good to get God. You're 100% wrong. God came for the lost, the sick, the dying, the hurting, the failures. And if I'm going to be accused of anything, let it be that I stand with sinners. Those that are hurting and downtrodden, those that have lost their way, isn't that who Jesus went after? Isn't that who Jesus sat with? And, and we've got to be real careful because it's like, God, if I can... No, no, the last I saw, and, and I love how Charles Spurgeon says it, God helps those who cannot help themselves. I don't know about you, but I was lost. I was on drugs I was full of, I, I mean, I was, I was as far gone as you go when God visited me in my house at 1230, February 7th, 2003. Don't tell me that God helps those who help themselves. I was lost and helpless. So we just got to be real careful where our theology. Here's another one. You're never more safe than when you're in God's will. <laughs> Now, let me just say this. If you're talking about in the right place, eternity, okay. Eternal security, okay. But this is a fallacy. God never gives us or grants us personal safety. You have to hear this. In fact, in Luke 21, he talks about parents and brothers and relatives and friends who are going to deliver you up and put you to death. Where is the personal safety in that? How many missionaries have gone overseas and lost their life? How many people today are dying for their faith? And if we're not careful, when trouble comes, when persecution comes, we're going to say, well, God, you left me. What are you talking about? He, he's been right there with you. In fact, you're in the perfect will of God himself. So stand up, be strong, have some grit, stay focused, and love God in the midst of a tough time. <laughs> And I just need you to know, even as the days tend to get darker, that God may even lead you into great physical danger. That's what I'm concerned about. We've got to raise a church up that if it means for us to go to jail because we stand on God's word as the infallible word of God, then we better have a party up in the jailhouse. If I am the only one in jail, then we have failed. 
This is a platform for us to go and live this out. I'm to teach you and then equip you. And so if, if we're persecuted, we ought to all be in the same boat together. There ought to be enough evidence in your life and my life that they come lock all of us up. We're not secret servants. We're disciples. We're disciples. Now, he does give us eternal security. We will be spiritually alive. So those things, those are great, but you just, we got to, here's another one. I'm going to follow Jesus, not popular culture. God will not give you more than you can handle. And I've said this, but I want to change and rephrase it. I love the fact that I reserve the right to get smarter. And it's not that he won't give you more than you can handle. In fact, he, he will. And, and the whole premise of this saying is that God's going to get you through. Like, it won't be too hard, but I need you to know there's going to be times you're going to feel like breaking down. It's too much. It's too hard. And that's okay. God wants you at your limit because when you're at your limit, he can now take control. That's what leads us back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And it allows us to say, God, it's too much for me. Think about it. If only he let you have what was enough for you, you would never turn to him. You'd never need his strength. You never need more of him. What do you think leads us to prayer and fasting and, God, I need more? And here's something that we could say that's a little more biblically accurate. The good news is not that God won't give you more than you can handle. It's that he won't give you more than he can handle. Right. That ain't better. It's like, okay, God, I can't handle it. I'm going to put it in your hands, and I know whatever I'm walking through, you can handle so I'm going to give it back to you and put it back in your hands. So I'm going to live as a follower of Jesus, not culture. I have decided this. Here's the second thing that I have decided. I've decided to live according to God's word and not popular opinion. <clears throat> and again, just, just hear my heart. You know, in, in this as your pastor, uh, I'm going to go through and just talk about what the Bible says. Look, look, 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. Someone may say, I am a Christian. I'm on the way to heaven. I belong to Christ. But if he doesn't do what Christ tells him to, he's a liar. Think, think about that. It's not about what you believe. It's about what you do. It's not about what you say. It's how we live. And if we're going to live as a disciple, we've got to live according to God's word, not popular opinion. And it's God's word that is a lamp before our feet and a light to our path, according to Psalm 119, 105. And we've got to make sure that it's God's word that is guiding us as a disciple of Jesus. Now, I want to be very clear. There are some of you either here on site or you're watching online. You're not a follower of Jesus. So I'm not talking to you. But once you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, that switch has to happen. I no longer can say I care more about what others think or the opinion of others. I have to now say, God, your word is the infallible truth that I choose to live by. And can I tell you, God's word has so many things that are difficult for me. I don't always agree with it, but aren't you glad we serve a God that's bigger than your opinion? That's bigger than my opinion. If he always agreed with me, he wouldn't be much of a God at all because I get things wrong all the time. And if you're not careful, society wants us to try to make God fit us 
instead of us as a follower of Jesus say, I've got to now change my ways and fit God's pattern. 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training, and righteousness. So God's word is true. And remember, we're regaining biblical clarity in a secular culture. So, so what does that mean? And I don't have time to go through all of these. I will in the next couple of weeks, but like morality. So where are we saying I'm going to live by God's word versus popular opinion? Look, it's not okay to have premarital sex. It's not okay to test drive intimacy. Not according to God's word. Now, again, let me, let me just tell you, if you're part of the crowd, there's no judgment but I love this about our church. I've had people come and sit in the relationship talk and series, and, and they're like, Pastor, we've been living together for a long time, and uh, what do we do? I say, well, God says just get married. If they're the one, get married. Make it right. Well, we're not ready. Okay. You're welcome here anytime. But to take the progress and the process of being a follower, you're going to have to take those next levels. I don't have to judge you. You're welcome here. We love you. Nobody cares. What we're going to do, though, is teach you the truth because you're asking God to bless that relationship, but you're not living in covenant. Going to church doesn't equate to the blessing. It's doing it according to God's word. Do you understand? And that's where the world is saying, well, they're haters. No, you know what hate speech is? Not telling the truth. Letting people live in sin and the curse, that's hate speech. I mean, could you imagine this? I'm sick, and I go to a doctor, and I walk in his office, and I say, hey, I'm sick. I don't know what's wrong. The doctor says, I do. That's what I went to school for. And he diagnoses you and tells you this is what's wrong. Here's the cure. And you're mad. I don't agree with you. What's he going to say? Okay. Are you a doctor? I thought you came to me. And yet think about how the devil deceives Christians. They'll go into a church that actually preaches the word of God. I thought you came into a hospital. I thought you came into a place and you're trying to get a diagnosis of why your life is falling apart, we're trying to diagnose it for you. I'm not going to apologize for diagnosing what God says the problem and the solution are. Even if it costs us, we're not going to do it. We're not caving to culture, sexuality. And, and listen, can I just tell you, we were made in the image of God, male and female, there are no pronouns. I just need you to know. There is no confusion on God's side. Gender is assigned at birth. And you've got people that are trying to pressure and bully. And listen, I say this with the greatest love. I know people that are struggling with it. You're welcome here. But I'm not going to not tell the truth so that you feel better. I need to tell the truth because that's what a loving doctor would do. He would say, I know this is painful, but you're going to have to have what they say, lifestyle changes. Your blood pressure is high. We need some lifestyle changes. You can't come into church as a, as a hospital and say, I need you to fix me, but I got no lifestyle changes. We need to change. Salvation. I just need you to know there is one way to God. One, and it's through Jesus Christ. We will not cave. We will not bend. There are not all roads lead to heaven. There is one. 
and it's through Jesus. Marriage is between a man and a woman. You can't redefine what you didn't create. You didn't create it. God created it. And, and I'm just, listen, I know someone say, you're blowing up your church. Well, I don't think so because I think we're building a church that are followers of Jesus. And I also, I also think tone matters. Like we're not judging. We're not trying to hurt people. But we're also not going to be bullied to shut up and sit down and passively build this flimsy thing that we call a church. No, we're going to build a solid church full of men and women that know what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. We have decided. We've made some decisions. And then it leads me to the last one. I personally have decided to live by conviction, not personal convenience. So when we say conviction, it's a firmly held belief. It's, it's what we believe. And even if it costs you, and this is where I just want you to know, it's probably going to cost us at some level. Cancel culture is real. If we were to just go in here and say, oh, well, God, I can't believe you let them cancel me. Look, they can cancel me, but you can't cancel God. Like, like, and so you just have to recognize that's where I'm, convenience is just, hey, we can address this one-on-one. No, no, no. Jesus spoke about it publicly. I'm going to speak about it publicly. Now, am I going to go out of my way and try to, no, 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 but we're in a relationship series next month. So guess what I'm going to talk about? Sexuality and marriage. And I'm going to define what it means. And I'm going to, you're in the doctor's office. Marriages are struggling. You're asking for the diagnosis and the cure, so I got to give it to you. And that's all I'm saying. We're not looking to go pick a fight, but I'm not going to be bullied to shut up and sit down and to placate to culture, even if it's more convenient. I'm going to live up to the word of God. Why? Because I am a disciple. I am a follower of Jesus. Listen, I need you to know when you live by convictions, it's going to cost you your friends. It may cost you your job. It may cost you opportunities. It might even cost you your business. How many businesses have been shut down because they won't bend to the culture? Is it painful? It's painful. But here's what I know. When we cross through eternity, we are going to hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. So if it costs me everything today to serve the one who is worthy, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus all the days of my life. It reminds me of a story, and I've told this story before. If you've ever heard the hymn, I Have Decided, anybody? I have decided. Look, y'all seem better than me. Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Well, that story of the hymn and how it was written is so powerful. A man who decided to live by conviction, not convenience. It's the story of a missionary who had gone into uh, India, and he was a Welsh missionary, and he was preaching the gospel and evangelizing, and it was a really, really tough mission field. Well, all of a sudden, he comes across a man and a woman and her children, and they're receptive to the gospel. So he begins to disciple them and teach them about Jesus and shares the gospel with them, and this family believes. They're baptized. They decide to follow Jesus. Well, the people in the village that they were a part of 
didn't like it. In fact, the chief of the village decided he was going to make an example of this couple and their family and make sure that this gospel of Jesus never got preached again. So he brings the family in front of the entire village. And as the saying goes to this story is that he demands the father to renounce Jesus, renounce his faith, turn away from this thing that you have begun to believe in and this Jesus you began to follow. If you don't, I'll murder your family. Well, the father had no, no, no decision to make. I'm not going to renounce the one that saved me, the one that loved me, the one that has touched me and my family. So he says, no, I'm not going to do it. And he begins to sing these words, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there is no turning back. So what does that tell you? He made a quality decision. It wasn't some little flimsy prayer that he prayed out of personal convenience. He had made a decision. I'm a follower of Jesus. And, and so they, they, they now pulled his children to the side and they murdered his kids right in front of him. And here's what he said. The world can be behind me, but the cross is still before me. Deny Jesus or we'll murder your wife now. He refused to deny Jesus, so they shot arrows through his wife right in front of him. Here's the words he spoke. Though no one is here to go with me, still I will follow Jesus. Deny him. He said, I'm not going to deny so they murdered him. His faith cost him. And imagine that the story goes, people were so touched by this, this act that, that God began to move in the village and people began to become followers of Jesus. And here's what I believe in a culture that is so diluted, if we would have some real followers of Jesus... That when persecution and trouble and struggles come and, and people start to threaten, well, we're going to cancel you. I, 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 I'm sorry. I still can't. Why? Because I have decided not to follow culture or popularity or my own ambition or dream. I've de decided to follow Jesus. I can't do it. And they take that away. Still can't do it. Threaten anything you want. Still can't do it. Going to murder you. Still can't do it. Why? Because he saved me. He's worthy. I have decided to follow Jesus. And I'm asking us to get a resolve inside of us like never before. That this is a year of boldness. That quality decisions are made. It may cost you, and it will. I just, I need you to know it's going to cost. But we're going to decide to follow Jesus. Father, I thank you for that.